back in 1978, and it was virtually identical. The number of unintended pregnancies related to abortions was like 30%. And I thought, well, that's highly interesting. That really could have been me. It wasn't just like this children, these two boys that I loved. And then we ended up talking about it more with Laura's mom. And it turns out that Laura was an unplanned pregnancy. So it got more personal, realizing that could have been my wife, that the abortion industry and the evil forces behind abortion were targeting by putting up clinics in our neighborhoods, you know, where we lived in Denver and I was born in Maryland. And I realized this is really, uh, this is an evil and people's lives are not here today. And in fact, you know, statistically, if you look around any set of people like a room like this, you know, there's statistically something like, you know, 15 to 25% more people that could be here or in any classroom or in any Walmart anytime you're in there that are just not there because abortion snuffed them out. So as I read the Bible as a Christian with an eye for the references to abortion uh, and infanticide, I realized that God had a lot to say about this in his word. Uh, one very simple thing is, is from the Ten Commandments, right? It says you shall not murder. And here somebody might play games and pretend that a child in the womb is not a child, human being, um, but they're simply playing games. When you're taking innocent life, you're murdering. It also says... You know, Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So here we're talking about our pre-born neighbors. Proverbs 14.34 says, Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a disgrace to any people. So you realize, wow, when a nation is willing to go on record making decisions like Roe v. Wade to ensure the right to an abortion, you just think, wow, what a mess of our nation. And look, you know, has our nation morally been in decline since 1973 when abortion became um, legalized officially across all 50 states? However, on June 24th, 2022, last summer, some of you guys, you might remember where you were standing. On the day when Samuel Alito and Amy Coney Barrett and Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh made a decision that changed our country's moral compass in a very significant way that will save thousands if not millions of lives the supreme court officially ruled in favor of the state of mississippi in dobbs versus jackson's women's health organization keeping the state's 15-week abortion ban in place and officially overturning roe v wade and planned parenthood versus casey which returned that issue of abortion in making laws to the states it's such a big deal. That's amen, and it's a big deal, and forever our culture is going to be changed in light of that, which really means that now in our country, as you look back to it, there was a Roe v. Wade era, and we're not in that era anymore. It's like our kids are kind of going to start growing up wondering what the heck that was and how weird that was as they learn about it, you know. Overturning Roe v. Wade decision was supported by a five to four majority, and what this means is if you were born... After 1973, when Roe v. Wade decision was made legalizing abortion, you survived Roe v. Wade. And those of us who are still alive on June 24th of last year, Roe v. Wade did not survive you. Praise God. That's a big deal. The National Right to Life committee, the nation's oldest pro-life organization, estimates that 63,459,000 and some change abortions have taken place since 1973 to 2022. So that's during that era 
of Roe v. Wade, 63-plus million lives were taken, American lives. The estimate was gathered by tracking data from the CDC and also the Guttmacher Institute, which served as this, you know, research arm of Planned Parenthood. So that is to say that there is more people violently killed by abortion during that nearly 50 years of Roe v. Wade than all the people in, you have a map, California, New York, Wyoming, Vermont, Alaska, North Dakota, and Nebraska in the last 50 years. It's insane. If like one person is like killed unrighteously or unjustly in our community, we should like throw up our arms and demand justice. Well, it was crazy. Over 63 million. So this map now uh, actually shows what it's like today, like in the state of Colorado. So you just have to wonder, is Colorado still, is abortion still legal here? You know, Roe v. Wade got overturned. Well, here's the, um, the facts of it. Colorado and all those states up there that are blue, they allow late-term abortions. So they allow all kinds of abortions and all the way up to late-term abortions. Abortion is legal in Colorado, and uh, there's no restrictions to when a, a pregnancy can be terminated. On July 6th, our governor, Jared Polis, issued an executive order. So this is right after Roe v. Wade was overturned. His executive order declared no one who is lawfully providing, assisting, seeking, or obtaining reproductive health care in Colorado should be subject to legal liability or professional sanctions in Colorado or any other state, nor will Colorado cooperate with criminal or civil investigations for actions that are fully legal in our state. So our state legislature passed something very similar, just codifying it, making sure that abortion was legal. But our governor came out and just wanted to go on record just to make sure you knew exactly what he thought. So um, it's pretty sad. So while we can rejoice that there was uh, five Supreme Court justices willing to overturn Roe v. Wade, uh, abortion is not abolished. So when you think back historically, we think about slavery, how we don't have slaves in our country today, not even like any legalized slavery going on. It's because there was a um, <clears throat> slavery, uh, 13th Amendment was passed, abolishing slavery in our Constitution on January 31st, 1865. And then it was ratified in December 6th of 1865. But that 13th Amendment effectively abolished slavery in the United States. So that didn't happen here. Roe v. Wade got overturned and it like just became neutral again. Before it was like super jacked up. Now it's like, well, you can kill children if your state wants to. And it's up to the citizens of states like Colorado to get involved and run for office and pray and vote and fast and, you know, love people. How can you overcome evil? So this is where... Uh, I want to transition to a little more of the scriptures here because that was a lot of politics and it's, it's all involved. It's a spiritual issue before it's a political issue. It's a social issue. It's a personal issue, like I shared. But in Romans 12, 21, this is a, a good passage to remember because it deals with a lot of life. But God instructs us, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So this morning, we're going to look at what the scriptures have to say about the moral opposite of abortion, and that is adoption. And the scriptures have a lot to say, and um, hopefully some of the things I shared today will, will stick in your heart and move you to action, because I think there's a lot of things we can do as believers to uh, oppose abortion without, you know, being jerks or whatever, and, you know, speaking the truth in love. So... Um, the outline is basically what the Bible says about adoption and how it relates to our salvation. And then we're going to look at some examples of adoption in the Bible. 
And then we're going to look at what the Bible commands regarding adoption. And we do have a, a few special guests that are going to be shown in. So try to pay attention and tune in because it'll get more interesting when other people get to share. So if you want to turn to uh, Galatians 4, that's the passage that Asher read this morning. But in Galatians 4, there's a pretty powerful summary of how adoption is connected to the gospel. So in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6, um, Paul is discussing um, the historicity of Israel being under slavery, being enslaved to the law, being stuck in the system of sacrifices, being stuck without um, understanding the fullness of salvation. And I'll pick it up there in verse 4. Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, so this was the first Christmas, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So Jesus was sent into the world, born to Mary, to redeem us. And redemption is kind of a cool word. You know, when you redeem something, you're basically getting something back for for what it's really valued at. You're really paying for something to get it back. Another synonym for it is ransom. You know, it's a payment for a price to recover something from the power of another, which is a big deal. I don't know if you all ever saw the movie uh, Taken before, but it's like got a lot of swear words in it and a lot of violence. So it's, I don't really recommend it or, you know, just not flat out without those caveats. But it is an epic movie about this father redeeming his daughter from some kidnappers. Like, going to the ultimate extent of, like, doing whatever it takes to cross oceans and break into the bad guys, like, lairs. And, you know, it's all Hollywood, so it's totally fake. But what Jesus did for us was really real. Like, he really did crush skulls and make things happen. You know, stomping on Satan. And breaking the power of sin by redeeming us from the law, by laying down his life and overcoming evil with good, right? It's a big deal. Satan was the big, the big loser in that one. But I'll tell you what, that redemption is powerful. And it's part of getting us to our salvation. So who needs to be ransomed? The scriptures say in this passage, those who are under the law. He was redeeming those of us who are under the law. And the Old Testament law, the Mosaic law, is, you know, you can read the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and get the big overview of all those rules and laws. But it's summarized as the Ten Commandments, which is really helpful. Because you think, how many of us really need to be redeemed? How many of us are in need of redemption by a Savior who can break the power of sin because we're trapped under the law? How many of you guys have kept the Ten Commandments this morning? <laughs> It, the reality is they're very, very easy to break when you think about things like, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. You know, don't bow down to anything else. Nothing should be commanding your heart around. It should be God and God alone. He says, don't steal anything. Well, have you ever stolen anything before? From your siblings? 
or I talk to college students a lot. You ever pirate music? It used to be more common than it is now. I think before Spotify, everybody was stealing music from these Russian websites. I don't know if people are still doing it. But it's easy to steal things, small things, particularly given your lifetime. It's easy to tell a lie. Uh, when I was a young kid, I thought at least I didn't murder and at least I didn't commit adultery. Shoot, I'm not even married. How could I commit adultery? And then you read the New Testament and Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And what does he say? Even as you, if you lust after a woman, you commit adultery in your heart. And I thought I didn't commit murder, so at least I got one good one. And then you read a little further and Jesus says, even if you hate your brother in your heart, you're guilty of murder. And he goes on to say, guilty enough to go into fiery hell. Like it's like, oh my gosh, Jesus. Who needs redeemed from the law? We all do. We've all broken those Ten Commandments at different times. And just in case you think you're still good, the last one of the Ten Commandments is like this catch-all. It's like, oh, you should not covet. Oh, well, that's like probably the easiest one to break. The reality is all of us need redemption. Every human being needs redemption. And by God's grace, when the fullness of time had come, he sent his son to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And daughters, really. And the whole lusting thing goes both ways, too. Lusting after men and women. You know, the Bible simplifies things in this masculine language, but really, he's talking about if we are adopted by God, we are his sons and we are his daughters. An adoptive child, by definition, was once outside of the family and then is brought into the family. And you know what? Uh, once in a while, when I'm getting to know a friend, maybe you guys have done this. It's kind of fun. If you get to know a friend, you think, oh, this guy's interesting or this family's interesting and you're in some kind of conversation where it's maybe somewhat personal or over a meal, and you ask, hey, what's your story? How did you, how did you come to know Jesus? How did you, how'd you find him? What's your story there? And it's kind of cool. You don't know what's going to come out of their mouth, like, but something cool. Everybody's story of coming to Jesus is different. But once in a while, I'll ask that question to people or to college students, and they'll give me this weird answer, and it's kind of like, you know, it, re it requires some probing. But they'll say, ah, oh, I've just always been a Christian. And I just think, well, according to the Bible, you haven't just always been a Christian, you know. Because the Bible says we were all dead in our transgressions, right? And he made us alive together in Christ. So we're born with this sin nature. And there might be a lot of people out there who can't remember a time not being a Christian, or they always remember going to church. But the reality is, at some point in your life, you were spiritually dead. And at another point in your life, you believed the gospel and the Holy Spirit sealed you and you became a Christian. And uh, everybody has a story, just sometimes you got to get a little introspective and figure it out, your testimony. But um, we were not always part of God's family and we needed to be adopted. And that's this uh, metaphor that Paul uses here, is this metaphor of being adopted. We were outside of his family and through adoption by the Holy Spirit, we were brought in. And he says, uh, the third part there is that God has sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. God sent his spirit into our hearts, which further links this metaphor to salvation. You know, we were dead. Our spirit was dead. Uh, and Ephesians 1.13 says, when we heard the gospel, when we believed it. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. That is a big relational component. Uh, the spirit inside of our hearts now calls out to God, our Father. That's true of all genuine Christians. The relationship to God as our good father is sealed with that adoption. If you're a Christian, so like everybody's not a Christian, but if you're a Christian, you've been redeemed. You've been adopted into his family, and you have the spirit of God. So I'm going to state this very clearly. 
This is why adoption, I think, is such a big deal for Christians. Like, this is the reason why it's the biggest deal for Christians, aside from little babies. If you're not adopted by God, you are not saved from your sins and the judgment that you deserve. You're still under the law. If you have been adopted spiritually into God's family, you are saved. <laughs> These things are linked. Every Christian should love adoption, at least your own adoption, or you're not a genuine Christian. Like, that's why adoption is, like, such a big deal. So I'm trying to just make it, like, clear. I'm not talking about adopting babies right now. I'm talking about your own adoption into God's family, which is through faith in Christ. It's a big deal, and as Christians, we should all just know that. It's just part of your own, it's part of your own journey. You're adopted. Sorry if you were 18 before you figured that out, yeah. So that they say you're not supposed to do with your kids if you adopt them nowadays. Don't wait until later to tell them. Tell them off the bat. So sorry if I just wrecked anybody's heart. All right. Examples of Bible adoption. So there's a few really cool examples of, of adoption there in the Bible. And the first one is Moses. So he was in Egypt, born under a very unique time of slavery when the Egyptians were telling all the uh, Israelites uh, to build stuff. And, you know, they were just completely enslaved and pharaoh is afraid of the israelite men raising up and becoming like a military force that would overthrow his country so he started killing all those babies all the young boys are to be killed so i'm going to read from exodus chapter one it says the king of egypt then told the hebrew midwives one of whom was named shifra and the other pua this is exodus 1 15 he said to the midwives when you serve as a midwife to the hebrew women and see them on the birth stool if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, he shall live. There is no way of telling how many Hebrew babies died during that time. It's just not recorded. But it must have been a very vast number. They were just taking out Hebrew babies so much that the Hebrew women were scared to death if they had a son. So they had to figure out what to do. So that's what happened to Moses' mother here in Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took his wife, a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank, and his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him. So She had compassion for this baby. She probably knew what was happening to the Hebrew babies, right? Sure, she did. She said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. So she knew that baby had a death sentence. Then Moses' sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew woman to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. So Pharaoh's daughter had compassion and did the right thing in caring for and adopting a baby that was sentenced to die. 
God was working out an absolutely huge story with that compassionate act of the mother trying to trust God with that baby. You know, she was trying to figure out what to do, but she had to put the baby in the river. I mean, she was saying goodbye. And this other mom saw the baby, or this woman saw the baby and wanted to adopt her. God was working this incredible story through adoption, supernatural story. If you remember how that story ends, Moses, the adopted son, is the superhero, right? He gets all the superpowers. He goes back to, you know, Egypt when he realizes what's going on, and God uses him as this tool to help deliver the Israelites out of slavery and oppression of the Egyptians. And he does impossible things with the power of God to dramatically free his people from Egypt that altered the course of history forever. So there's going to be a pattern here. I'm going to share two more stories about adoption. But Moses, like somebody had compassion on him, somebody adopted him into their family, and he became a superhero. Moses is an example uh, of an international adoption, right? Here's the nation of Israel got brought into Egypt. If you guys remember the story. Well, and here's the Egyptians. They were a different people, and they adopted this baby, the daughter of Pharaoh did. Every adoption, you guys, every adoption story is so unique. You know, I could share the story about Asher and Uriah, and they're different, and we've met lots of people who are adopted, and it's kind of cool to hear their stories, but everyone shares a different facet of uh, compassion and need and faith, and they're all super cool. And uh, we have an example of an international adoption in our church from some folks that have been uh, coming here for probably a year and a half or something like that, but that's the Avilas. And I've known Ted and Pam uh, for 20 years or more than 20 years now, since before Laura and I got married, so it's really a blessing because we kind of went through praying for each other about adoption because uh, I think we both were talking about it a lot before either of us had adopted or at least praying about it and sharing stories and stuff. So it's really cool to see how God led them on their journey. So I want to invite you guys up here to come up and share a little bit of your journey that God has had you guys on with your beautiful daughters, Rebecca and Julianne. So why don't you all come on up here? You guys can give them a hand to kind of warm them up or something. Let them know. We appreciate hearing from you guys. So as Austin said, I'm Pam. My husband, Ted. This is Julianne and Rebecca. Um, our story started when Ted and I got married. We both wanted children, but I couldn't have them. <laughs> Kind of like Laura. Um, at the time, one of the Bible passages that Ted gave us, or that God gave Ted and I when we got married, was Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And I know you guys probably all know that one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. And he will make your path straight. Well, little did I know, but God was taking me on a trust walk. Not always fun. So after seven years of trying to have children, we couldn't. And I got angry with God. And I went to him in prayer. I was like, Lord, this is not fair. And God said to me, Am I Lord of your life? I gulped and said, yeah. <laughs> and he said, then do I not have the right to do what I want to do? Okay, Lord, that shut me up. So we decided to pursue adoption. And we had to take lots of steps of faith. 
Adoption wasn't unusual for me. My dad was adopted. My brother-in-law was adopted. So adoption was part of my story. We attempted a domestic adoption, went through the whole eight months. And the day before we were to get the baby, the mom changed her mind and decided to keep it. But praise God, she kept it and didn't go for an abortion. So then um, we had lots of moves, weren't able to keep pursuing adoption. And God had other and better plans for us. Um, after we moved, we went and visited my friend in California. And she said, what about foreign adoption? How about China? And she then proceeded to take us to all of her friends, which were multiple. And they had adopted little Chinese girls. And they were adorable. I fell in love. Um, so we also were introduced to a company in Denver called CCAI. It's an adoption company. At the time, did only China. Now they do multiple other countries as well. Christian run by two Chinese people who came out of China, who had a heart for the girls in China. China has a one, had a one-child policy starting in the 1990s, and you were allowed only one China, one child. So the women in China would um, stay at home have their children at home, not go to a hospital, in case it was a baby girl. They were not allowed to find out what the sex was prior to adoption. And if they had a baby girl, then they would just abandon it and try for a boy again, because the men who run the country and run the families said, we want a boy, no girls. So the adoption um, orphanages were loaded with beautiful baby girls, but thank God they weren't aborted. And so we started our journey on going to China. We applied, and then two obstacles came up. China got the bid for the Olympics, and Connie Chung put out a documentary on China's lost girls. Those two things shamed, well, they wanted to have a good face for the Olympics, and they were shamed by Connie Chung and her, her documentary. So China went from through our adoption agency alone, went from adopting out 100 children a month to three a month. So Ted and I got put on hold. It um, took us six years of waiting to get this one. Every 18 months, we had to redo United States paperwork and get reapproved and re-fingerprinted and pay and pay and pay. But through every obstacle, God met the need. If we trusted him, he met the need. During the time that we were going to, or waiting for Rebecca, one of our prayers was, God, you choose the child you want us to have. You know who's going to fit into our family. You know who you want us to have. China told us that they did the picking. I knew it was God who would do the picking. After six years, we got her picture in the mail with a question mark. Do you want to adopt this child? <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> of course we do. It took us um, two weeks. We had to be on a plane flying to China 
didn't know a thing, scariest thing in my life. I don't know how to speak Chinese. I don't know how to read Chinese. Don't know anything about a communist country. But there we were on the way. The adoption agency took great care of us. After two weeks of staying in the country, we flew back with our brand new baby girl. At that time, China did not allow us to go back and adopt again. We're too old. <laughs> but then they opened up their doors again because their orphanages were getting so full and just overflowing. And so they let us know that if we wanted to take an older child, we could go back and do that. At the time, right before they opened their doors, God just put a burning desire on my heart to adopt again. Rebecca kept asking for a sister. And between those two things, I'm like, okay, Lord, we've got to do this. We tried foster care. We actually had two children placed in our home. They were with us for almost a year. We were told, oh yeah, you can adopt. These parents aren't getting their act together. Well, praise God, the parents did get their act together. And they got their children back, and they got to keep their beautiful children that we had. But then that pushed us to look at Adopt U.S. Kids. There are thousands of kids on that website that you can go. They're in foster care, but their parents are no longer involved, and those children are free to be adopted. So I went to that website looking to see what we could get from there. And while I was on the website looking, Ted walked in the room, said, what are you up to? I hadn't told him. <laughs> and so at that point, I told him what I was doing and that I was looking at Adopt U.S. Kids, foster care kids that would be up for adoption. And his response to me at that time was, well, why aren't we going back with CCAI? Why aren't we going back to China? Wow. That really excited me because it was where my heart was. So we started again, all the paperwork, all the approvals. There seemed to be obstacle after obstacle as we were going through the paperwork this time, where they said, if you qualify for any of these, don't keep going, just stop. So then we called CCAI and said, this wasn't an obstacle the first time, how come it is this time? And God kept opening door after door after door, and all the obstacles as we stepped out in faith kept being resolved. Our prayer this time was, God, this, they had sent us pictures, and we prayed and said, Lord, which one? And this was the one, the picture that we were led to pick this time. And so before she arrived, our prayer was, God, let her get to know you before she comes to know to the United States so that, God, you are not a foreign God to her. And so when people would ask us, what do we pray for? That was what we asked them to pray, was that Julianne was at least introduced to God before she came to the United States. And off we were to China again. This time it only took a year, so we didn't have to keep redoing all the paperwork. We met her, we got to know her for two weeks before we had to fly back to the United States. Because she was greater than 10 years old, she had a choice. She could, up to the minute before we boarded the plane to fly back to the United States, she had the right to say, no, don't want you, don't want to go with you. I let her say whether or not she wanted to come with us. I think there was a God thing involved there too. So to finish up, because I've been going a really long time, we are blessed beyond 
with these two beautiful girls. We pray often for their birth parents, especially the moms whose hearts are broken. And we pray that they come to know Jesus so that my girls, if they don't on this earth meet their birth parents, they can meet them in heaven. My girls are twice adopted, twice wanted, and twice loved. Adopted by us, wanted and loved by us. Adopted by God, wanted and loved by God. I was from China and I was adopted when I was 11 years old. Before I was adopted, I wonder what is family, family love like? Is my life just an everyday problem? No one really cares about us. Adoption changed my life totally because I see someone really loves me, that they'll help me in my times of need and support me. Adoption is a blessing and a very good thing because because it helped me know what family is like since I didn't have family in an orphanage. I didn't know these things. I think adoption can and will change someone's life. After I got to America, I was thinking if God was real. Because in China, where I used to go to school, there was a teacher who seemed to be different compared to other teachers that I have known. One day, I went, to, I went to her room. She was very nice and welcomed us. Then she sang, sang praises songs and told us you can pray to God and he'll answer your prayer. I got to America one day at night. I was dreaming. All of a sudden, Jesus came to me in a bright, glorious light. He asked, I asked him, is God real? Jesus answered me saying, yes. Then he disappeared. So I gave my life to Christ. So I think that God led me into his family so that I would know him too. So I'm going to say something on the funner side. Uh, China is a big, big country. For instance, if anyone has ever been to Phoenix, there's maybe, okay, there's maybe about two or three million people in Phoenix. Well, where we did the final paperwork in Guangzhou, there's in the same size of area, there's 16 million people. And I remember one time we were crossing from one side to the other, and there was like 20 people across and about 15 feet people deep, and we're all going across the street. And that is just kind of crazy. And then I remember another time, there was a, a boy, we went to a zoo, and he had the color of hair of Uriah, bright red and beautiful. And all these Chinese children wanted a picture with him because they all have black hair and brown eyes. And they thought this kid with the red hair and the blue eyes was just like, whoa. And the zoos are really cool there because uh, they have lots of panda bears. And uh, here in the United States, are more protected behind glass and stuff. And in China, they're like from me to this gentleman, and they're like, you can almost touch them. And they're just running around, they're eating bamboo and stuff, and they're really cool. And the final thing is, we got to ride the bullet train to Ruan to pick up Julianne. 
It was 500 miles away, and on the bullet train, it took just a little over two hours. So that bullet train could probably get to Albuquerque probably like in about 60 minutes. So that's kind of cool, that bullet train. And they, the seats are like this lazy boy chair you sit in, and it's so smooth. And when they pull up to a station, the people have to get off and the people have to get on, and within seconds, that bullet train's up to 200 miles an hour. It's, it's pretty amazing. So anyway, those are some fun things. And Rebecca, she's been sick all week, and she did put something she wanted to say, but I think I'm going to read it for her because she's not feeling really well. So Rebecca says, when I think about the word adoption, what it means to me is that a family wants a child to love and care for, and and they can give a child a second chance at life, both physically and spiritually. I'm so grateful for adoption and that people get a chance at life when they get adopted. Also, hopefully, and Lord Lord willing, there might possibly be an adoption and foster care rally happening in June or July of this year, 2023. Those are the words of Rebecca. So anyway, thank you for listening. And we, we, before you're dismissed, Julianne, what did you think when you had the choice? Oh, yeah. You had, you <laughs> I had was this gonna, huge life-changing choice. I was going to say no, but then somehow, like, I'm so nervous that I couldn't say it. So I just guess say yes. Praise the Lord. <laughs> well, praise God. I'm so glad that everybody, God was superintending that thing and put you right in your forever family. What an awesome thing. Well, thanks yeah. so much, guys, for sharing. Yeah. And you guys can ask them questions later if you get more questions about it. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> Fantastic. What a blessing. Yep. Julianne is tearing up the court for uh, Ignacio basketball too, right? So try to catch a game before it's over. Um, Let's see. That's a pretty cool and awesome story, an example of international adoption. Here's a scriptural example of kinship adoption. So kinship is like, and maybe this has happened to somebody before where there's some Someone in your family who's like not able to parent their child for whatever reason, maybe it's related to death or some kind of abandonment issue. And boy, there's a need for that child to get adopted and sometimes somebody in the family will step up to help. Esther in the Bible, sweet Esther, she was an example of a girl who was adopted by her extended family. This comes from Esther chapter two, verses five through seven. It says, now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai. Okay, so this was in the Persian Empire after the uh, exile of all the Jews. So Mordecai was the son of Jer, the son of Shimei, son of Kish, a Benjaminite, who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with Jeconiah, king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up, so Mordecai, he was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had a beautiful figure and was lovely to look at. And when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So that's from Esther chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Esther was adopted by her cousin, Mordecai, so presumably an older cousin. And he did the right thing, right? He had compassion welled up in this guy. He realized that if, no, if somebody's not going to take care of his cousin, who's going to do it? So he did the right thing. 
by caring for this younger family member that was in great need. Now, if you remember the story, so the king that she was uh, serving under as she grew up was uh, King Ahasuerus, or Ahasuerus of Persia. So this was after um, the Babylonian Nebuchadnezzar guy left power. The Persians kind of took over. So this guy was, a, you know, kind of a total creep. So his wife, right, who was this beautiful Queen Vashti, she wouldn't come to him when he was called. He wanted to show off his beautiful wife to all his dinner guests. So he decides to discipline his wife by finding a new, more beautiful wife. So he tries to find the most beautiful girl in his kingdom to replace his wife. That'll, that'll teach her. So this year-long beauty pageant was instituted. Kind of weird. <laughs> Emphasis on weird. Okay, so the guy was like totally an individual. All right, so Esther. <laughs> Esther found herself as the winner of the beauty pageant. Okay, congratulations, Esther. You now have, like, a super wealthy creep husband. All right. She found out pretty soon that she was in this oppressive situation, kind of like Moses, right? So these people were, you know, behind the scenes making rules to attack the Jews. And Esther was in this opportunity now as the king's wife, as the queen, to help speak up and save the Jewish people from being killed by her creepy king husband. Maybe to save the day. And Mordecai famously said, who knows whether you have not come into the kingdom for such a time as this. That's kind of like the famous line, right, from Mordecai. And then Esther, filled with faith, she says famously, well, I will go to the king, though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish, right? So her, by speaking up, her own king husband could take her life. So she's scared to death of this guy. So just like Moses, there's this, adopted individual who's got this super unique calling on their life to be the superhero to be the savior of this story and she did speak up and the king did hear her and she did end up saving all the jewish people from death enabling the jews to eventually return to jerusalem and rebuild the nation of israel pretty cool so that's a kinship adoption compassion involved this cousin or maybe uncle but Mordecai decided, you know, to step in with compassion and adopt this girl, and God used her in incredible ways, just absolutely incredible ways. So can you guess? I have a third famous Bible adoption example. Can you guess who it is? Yeah, Jesus, the Sunday school answer. You guys got it. Good. So he was someone who also was born during an oppressive time period, right? And he also rose up to rescue many people from death. In the Christmas story, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit, not through a human father, so when Joseph found out that his betrothed girlfriend was pregnant, he had a big decision to make, right? There's a baby involved, there's a pregnant woman involved, and now he's kind of on the hook here to figure out, should I call her out for however she got pregnant, or do I decide to take this baby as my own to adopt this child who's in utero? And he decided to marry Mary anyway. And he was accepting Jesus as his son when he did that. So Joseph had compassion on a woman and child in need. And he did the right thing. And he adopted Jesus to raise him as his son. And similar to Moses' life and Esther's life, there was this opportunity for Jesus to rise up and be the Savior. But this time it was like on a way bigger scale, right? To be the Savior of the world. Oh, also interestingly, kind of like when Moses was a baby, the king was killing, you know, the Pharaoh was killing the babies in Egypt, baby boys. Remember what Herod did? Herod was doing the same thing. So Herod was like, let's kill all the baby boys. 
two and younger in Bethlehem, like, go take them out. Jesus survived that, came into the world, and as the rest of his story goes, it's really full circle now, going back to Galatians 4, 4 through 6. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Savior who was adopted humanly by Joseph is now the Redeemer of mankind so that we might receive adoption into his family. Do you see like how like central adoption is to God's plan of like breaking the power of sin and death? I mean, it's insane. It's really like without adoption, Christianity as we know it would not exist like at all. It's just cool. It's really cool. And I think... Maybe that's kind of part of God's plan for overcoming evil with good is through adoption. I see it happening around me. I see it happening in the scripture. So here's this third point, and this is kind of getting getting to that. But it's about uh, the commands in the Bible about adoption. And this is kind of tongue-in-cheek a little bit because there are no commands in the Bible to adopt. There's not a chapter and verse that says, go adopt all the orphans. It's interesting. The closest we get is still going to lead you to think about adoption. James 1.27, right? Religion. You want to be a good Christian? You have a good Christian religion? Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So does God have a special place in his heart for orphans, those who don't have parents? You bet. If you're going to be a legit Christian, you should be visiting them. Interpret the word visit however you want because there's a lot of ways that you could visit a child in China by jumping on a bullet train and bringing a baby girl home. And here you are, visiting orphans, right? A lot of ways. We've been down the Planned Parenthood before when there's women walking in there, young women with, like, a friend. And you don't know what they're doing, but you know the place exists to take human life. We're visiting orphans. We're calling out to those kids and praying that those moms would turn around and come out. And sometimes they do. And it's just about the most exciting thing in the world when they do. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 17 says, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. Isn't that interesting? The widow is kind of linked there again with the fatherless or with the orphans. So there's not a clear command to adopt orphans in the Bible, but there's a ton of freedom And I'll tell you what, when you start realizing um, how beautiful adoption is and how we've all been adopted, you can see where, man, there's a lot of place to pray and think about. How how might that fit into our life? A lot of freedom to adopt, but compassion is the thing. In each of those stories, there was compassion that was involved. And compassion just might overtake you to follow through with thinking about adoption or applying for adoption or thinking about all the thousands of dollars that it could take to adopt a child. Just curiously, how many people here in the room were either adopted or you have an ancestor, like a direct ancestor, maybe a father, maybe a grandparent, maybe a great-grandparent, or somebody that you know of that was adopted? And if that's you, would you just stand up right now? If you were adopted, or you have, go ahead and stand up back there, Jeff. And uh, yes, look around, that's a lot of us. And there's a lot of, I'm standing too, my grandmother was adopted. 
And you just think if, um, yeah, you can grab a seat now. But if that didn't happen, if somebody didn't have the compassion to adopt my grandmother, I wouldn't be here today. I mean, statistically speaking, there's no way possible that I would be here today if that didn't happen. There's just this beautiful chain of events that happened after an adoption, too, that goes on for generation after generation. It's absolutely fantastic. Uh, famous people in our world that were adopted. Do you guys know any? I got a little list here for you. Some people that have influenced your life. And I had a, had a longer list, and we'll see if I can find it here. Babe Ruth, Eleanor Roosevelt. Who do you got? Who? Aaron Judge was adopted? Praise God. Look at that. Steve Jobs, John Hancock, American Patriot, Nelson Mandela, uh, probably the most influential person on the continent of Africa in recent history, Leo Tolstoy, uh, Nancy Reagan, Dave Thomas, every time you eat a square hamburger, it's him, Edgar Allan Poe, he's a little creepy, but that's all right, influenced, influenced, uh, it's all right, Gerald Ford, Simone Biles, if you enjoy watching the Olympics, such a big deal. You guys, there are so many neat people out there that adopted. That's just, that's just a few. Bill Clinton was another one. Tim McGraw, Faith Hill, John Lennon. Uh, our world wouldn't be the world that it is today if, uh, if those people weren't adopted and loved on and developed into the, you know, the people that they became, the influential world changers that they became. Right now, there's millions of children around the world that need forever families. There's also over 100,000 children in the U.S. You mentioned that Adopt U.S. Kids website that are older kids. They're beautiful, created in God's image souls, and they're, they've been through challenging issues in life, and they need a family, and they're waiting for somebody to just trust God with them. Um, there's needs in our county right here. You know, in our county, foster care is a thing, and I know some of you guys, uh, Ted and Pam, uh, fostered here in La Plata County, correct, with Charmaine. So Charmaine uh, McDonald Summers is a gal who was supposed to be here today, and the snow kept her away, unfortunately. But she's actually a really neat Christian. She goes to the Grace Church in Durango, and her husband is Lee, and uh, they just love the Lord, and they love kids, and that's her job. She works in the county, and she helps coordinate families. Um, in the middle of the night, she'll get a phone call that there's a child who's been you know, taken out of a dangerous situation, and she has a list of people that are willing to foster care children. So she'll go through the list and start calling people and find out where can this child be placed like in the next five hours with his bag of belongings. So when God is looking for compassionate people and Charmaine is helping to connect compassionate people and guess what kind of people are commanded to like be compassionate? Us, right? The Christians. We got the Spirit of God in us to have supernatural patience. I mean, we're all in process. None of us is perfect, but for crying out loud, there are people that are needed um, to foster care kids in our own community all the time. So here's what she said. Uh, she's, uh, I asked her if I could read something about her. Is there a picture of Charmaine? There you go. She says, I have worked for the foster care and adoption program for 15 years. And for the past seven years, I've supervised both of these programs. The program is through La Plata County Department of Human Services, specifically the Child Welfare Program. It is a government-run initiative. And as such, I feel led to be a light in a place that can often be dark. I recruit, train, make placement decisions of children and homes, support and provide ongoing assistance to our certified foster adopt homes. 
She said, I'm sorry to miss this opportunity to share about foster care and adoption. What an amazing service we are called to as God's people to love and care for babies, children, youth, and their families. In their lowest moments, we are given a chance to shine God's light and love by sharing what God has blessed us with. What a blessing. It is not easy work, and you are definitely stepping into spiritual warfare, but God promises to always be with us in the lowest times. So if you are called to serve him through the ministry of foster care and adoption, please don't hesitate to reach out to me. I can give you more information and answer any questions you may have. My cell number is 970-799-3794. I can chat on the phone or meet in person. God's heart is for the lost, the broken, despondent, and how amazing that you and I get to be the vessel that works through to shine his love, healing, and provision. Thank you, Charmaine. She might come some other Sunday, just so people can meet her and say hi. But I just can't think of a more compassionate place for the church to step in and say, yeah, there's kids in our community that straight up have needs. You know, some of us just might be called to do that, and that would be life-changing for some child and probably for your family as well. But there's kids who have real needs out there, bigger than some of our first-world problems. There's other opportunities to make a difference. So this is kind of maybe a conclusion when you think about what can we do in light of all the needs that are out there. So here's a few other opportunities to make a difference in the life of orphans, particularly, or the fatherless, or children that really need help. Uh, one of them is pray. And in fact, because God is involved directly in prayer, I think that's the most powerful thing you can do. Maybe not the only thing, but probably the most powerful thing, to pray. Pray and fast that God would intervene, that God would give our church faith and people faith to trust him with things like foster care and adoption. And there's a million things you can pray for that are related to the fatherless. 40 days of life, when it comes up this spring, it's great to go down there with your family and take an hour slot and just pray, particularly on a Tuesday morning when there's the abortion doctors in the house. It is extremely eye-opening to realize that we live in a culture of death and not to stick your head in the sand and wish it would go away because it's here and it has ripples in our culture and it's affecting our families and it's sad but it's great to go and pray um another thing is master plan ministries this is great last year we did it we're doing it again but we're bringing in a group of like basically missionaries to the pre-born to come do a training for people in durango and it's set up through our college ministry in durango and there's not a time yet, but it's April 2nd. So on April 2nd, which is a Sunday, after church, I'll give you more details when I have them, but you can come to a training, and for four hours, they give you some of the best world-class Christian worldview training on how to talk to people about one of the most sensitive topics on the planet, which is abortion. And talking with people about it can be challenging, and it can be emotional, but they help you ask really good questions and listen really well. And you come away feeling like you could hear somebody without having to attack them. And if they attack you, you can defuse it. And after four hours of training, you might consider going on the college campus on the next Monday and Tuesday where they have a really interactive display set up that gets college students to stop and ask questions. And we ask them questions about, do you think abortion should remain legal? And we have a lot of really good conversations. And they lead back to the gospel of Jesus Christ, who created us as human beings with value. And I just encourage you all to join me on that, April 2nd, for the training, and maybe for the 3rd and the 4th for the outreach. It's absolutely life-changing, and we see students every year change their minds, and we hear a lot of 
stories of people that need to understand about God's forgiveness, and we share the gospel with college students, and it's challenging, and it's a lot of fun. It's probably appropriate for kids that are like middle school and up, the training, because they talk about all the things that can lead to unintended pregnancies. Oh, let's see. Night to Shine. How many of you guys know what Night to Shine is? Tim Tebow Foundation Outreach. Do you know there's a lot of kids, like right now, like when, when Laura had been pregnant, like four years in a row almost, we'd go to the doctor for like that first checkup like a month in, and they'd be like, we're going to run these tests to find out if your baby's healthy. And I'd be like, okay, why? And they're like, well, just to make sure it's healthy. And I was like, well, if it's not healthy, what are we going to do? And they're like, well, there, there's a chance that we could do something to help. And I was like, oh, okay. So there are some cases where they can help. And there's also a reality that they run tests to find out if your child has things like Down syndrome because they will offer you an abortion if your child has Down syndrome in an effort to believe that that's compassionate to take a child's life instead of let it be born with a deformation and a challenge. Well, Night to Shine is a night to celebrate children and really people, because I know there's a lot of adults that are involved too, that have real special needs and they're really awesome people. And they do like a prom for them. So they let these kids put on a, they, they have a bunch of adults and volunteers that put on a prom. And Joy Larson is this gal who, uh, she goes to First Baptist in Durango, I believe. But she organizes it, along with Tim Tebow, who will not be there. We thought maybe he was going to be there. But anyway, they do this really cool prom for these special needs kids. And they dress them all up and they make a big deal. And it is like super special. And if anybody wants to go to that, I don't have the date. But you could Google it. You can talk to me and I'll help you find out. Forest and Hope, do you have their slide up there? Forest and Hope are some dear friends of mine that work with us with Master Plan Ministries. There they are. <laughs> and Forest and Hope are my colleagues, you know, they, they do college ministry in Alamosa. They've been waiting for a couple of years now to adopt a child. They want to adopt a newborn baby is their prayer, or babies, even though they would adopt any child from zero to four years old. They've been foster parents for many years and have one adopted son. They're approved to, to adopt a child from zero to four years old from any state and would love to welcome a girl or boy of any race and are, opening, are open to a sibling group. They are home study approved. Please visit their adoptive family profile at this website. You can also call me. This is a little poster that Laura and I made up just to say, you know what? We're sticking these around town because statistically there's girls in Bayfield and in Durango who are going to choose an abortion this year and it's sad well why not put a pebble in their shoe and let them know you know what there's people that really are in our community that are praying and waiting to adopt a baby so these are on their credenza out there they have my phone number on the bottom because I can personally endorse them as my friends I want to encourage you guys to take one of these with you and maybe stick it in your house as just a reminder to pray for them or you can stick it on the bulletin board at the uh, Ace Hardware store or at the gas station or whatever and just spread the word to our community to know that, you know what, children are wanted. And in fact, there's a family here who's praying and waiting for a child to be adopted into their family. They're also, they've been waiting for two years and so now they have to re-update their home study. If you'd like to learn more about how you can be a part of them, helping them trust God financially, I think they have to raise something like $5,000 this summer or come up with $5,000. Master Plan Ministries can give you a tax receipt if anybody's interested in helping them adopt a child or children. Um, our church has a support closet. What's it called? The resource room. Wanted to get a picture of that, but I didn't get time. The snow screwed that plan up. Is there a picture of the resource room? 
I don't know if Tyrell knows where that is, but there's a room in the basement of the kid's cabin, the old sanctuary, and it's loaded with diapers and baby supplies, and maybe there's some maternity clothes. Look at that. Way to be. We all should know about that. If you know somebody who's pregnant and scared, you should let them know. Our church has a resource room. If you guys want to get in that resource room and get stuff, talk to Abby, right? Or talk to Matt. It's, it's there for people to take. If you want to donate things to the resource room, there you go. There's a list of things that we're collecting all the time. It's just an ongoing ministry of this church uh, to say, yeah, we think abortion's wrong and think that it's sin and it's evil to kill children. And we also think there's about a million things that we could do as a church to support families and children and babies and moms. So we're trying to grow in that. There's lots of room to grow, but man, we're trusting God in a lot of ways. Um, here's one. This is scary. Take a step toward adoption. Go to an online or in-person informational meeting. Laura and I, do you remember this, Laura? We were supposed to go to an informational meeting and it was scheduled for whatever day it was. And there was a snowstorm like this in Denver that kept us from going. And we didn't go because the road, like, interstate was shut down. And it set us back probably like six months or something like that. I remember it set us back and it was just a distraction. I think there are distractions that will keep us from pursuing adoption just because it's overwhelming and scary. But adoption is so central to this Christian faith. Like, it has, in these examples in the scripture, these adopted kids, like, were given, like, special places in the kingdom to do awesome stuff. I just think in this world where you live in a culture of death, maybe God's rescuing some of these kids from abortion so that they can rise up and help, you know, set our country straight. Lord willing, God's going to do that. But anyway, you could Google uh, Focus on the Family. They have a lot of good adoption resources. Or you could talk to Charmaine. I'll put you in touch with Charmaine. Okay, I think that's all I got to share you guys, but adoption is central to our Christian faith, whether you're talking about babies or not. All the examples in the Bible, at least those three main examples in the Bible of adoption are just beautiful. They require compassion, and God used those kids in supernatural ways. And even though we're not commanded to adopt children, we are commanded to go visit orphans and to plead the cause of the fatherless and demand justice and figure out different ways to be a light as Christians in the lives of those who are very needy and there's a lot so i'm going to take a moment to transition to communion